Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Donna. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. In 2013, your life took quite a turn. I wondered before we dive into that, if you could talk a bit about what your life looked like before. Definitely. So I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I was the daughter to a Philadelphia firefighter. And so with that here in the States, you have to live within the city limits. And my dad was not happy with the education system in Philadelphia. So he actually bartered for my sister my education. He was the janitor at our grade school in exchange for our private school tuition. And I share that because that was the education, which was the foundation for just about everything else I had moving forward. Fast forward a year from then, had a degree in statistics, had my master's. My dad helped set me up on a blind date with my husband, Greg. Oh, wow. Um, Greg's dad was a Philadelphia police officer. My dad was the firefighter. Oh. And both gentlemen thought it great to keep us in the same credit union. like, <laughs> <laughs> police and fire credit union. Um, not that I couldn't get a date. Mm-hmm. But heck, so um, Greg and I dated and got married in 99 and I called the yuppie lifestyle. So we had two incomes. We lived in the suburbs. We started off in a single home, well-educated, and we were moving forward quickly. We had kids quickly. And then we had like two within 12 months of one another. Oh my and- goodness. You had your hands full. <laughs> it was true. Like if you thought it was bad with one, then you add two and you're like, okay, oh, hey, <laughs> wow, we can't fit the stroller in the car because it's big, but it was fun. And then his job took us living abroad. So we actually did two tours. It was almost like a military life mm-hmm. over in Italy, working at the embassy there is where my husband was. So we went over the first time with two kids, came back, had the third kid my youngest we call him squish uh, i had squish and he was just such a chubby little lovely baby Aww. and then we actually wound up coming uh back to rome and with that we knew it was going to be a longer stay so i actually gave up my career at that time i was working in financial forecasting for the pharmaceutical industry i gave up my career because it was going to be such a long stay mm-hmm. abroad and wound up teaching english to italian children for five years so they all have philadelphia accents now they say water instead of water. Oh, I love it. That's how we were all over here. Um, came back stateside and uh, my husband got relocated back to the Philadelphia area in 2013. And two months after we moved here, I moved into the same neighborhood as my sister, right? You got to keep it close when you've been gone for so long. Yeah. Two months after we moved here, he passed away suddenly. And it was like, oh my gosh, what do you do now? So I'd given up my career. I was working at the school part-time, making part-time income Yeah, and had three babies ages 8, 11, and 12. And you really have to figure out what are you going to do next? And that's really where the story begins. So I guess you found yourself in control of your family's finances and you had to navigate this new pathway. Yeah. 
And I know this is something that you now help other widows and widowers with. When that happens to you, what's the first thing that you should do? It's one of the reasons. So I wrote a book called um, A Guide to Widowhood, Navigating the First Three Years, strictly from my experience. And the subtitle is With Your Heart, Soul, and Your Finances Intact, because you have to pay attention to that. You have to pay attention that you're making these decisions. Like you're saying, what do you do first? You're making these decisions during grief. You're making these decisions when you feel scared and vulnerable. And you're making these decisions when you have a whole lot of people who really want to help give you um, opinions as well as truly help you with the day to day. Um, So yeah, the first thing I always say is take a moment and just breathe, right? Just kind of collect yourself. And I'm a big list maker. And so if you have to make lists, if you have to do brain dumps, you start doing that. Um, In the book, we guide you through everything from the first 24 hours things that you have to collect to how to write here in the States. We have obituaries, which are now online to how to pick a funeral director, right? And how to know about how to finance the funeral. All these decisions, just those three things happen within the first five days and you have to be prepared for it. A lot of what we talk about now is preparing ahead of time, open communication with couples so that you have that action step kind of done should God forbid something happen. And Greg and I were squared away. We really were. We had worked with a financial advisor so when we were very young. So even though I knew in the back of my mind that we'd be okay financially because of life insurance and because of benefits from his employer, I just, you still, you feel so vulnerable. So yeah, that's the first thing is make sure you write lists, that you're breathing, that you surround yourself with trusted people and that you have some of those trusted people, I say, be your blocker. So there's some things you're going to want to handle and some things you're not going to want to. You have that trusted person go out and be your blocker um, to delegate for you to say, oh, you know, she'd, she'd love to talk to you about it, but maybe in a little while. So you said you had everything squared away. What can a couple do to prepare for an unexpected loss? The first thing you should always have in place is that's your estate documents, right? Your will, we call it a healthcare directive here in the States, and well, as we call it power of attorney too. So who can make decisions for you financially? Who can make decisions for you about your welfare, about your health? And everybody should have that. Like my children are, oh goodness, the older ones are now 21 and 20. And when they turn 18, I make sure that they gave me a power of attorney over them for health because they are adults. So I don't necessarily have rights to make decisions for them. And that way, if they're ever really sick, I can. And I know that I'm the person who can make those decisions. So I would always say, get your state documents done. And then two, life insurance. Life insurance was really important when you're younger and you're starting off as a couple or even a little bit older, making sure that through your employer, making sure that privately you have enough life insurance to cover those goals that you need to cover. Greg and I wanted to cover the mortgage, what we owed on our home. We wanted to cover education for the three kids. And we wanted to cover at least two years of either one of our salary going. Now, when we lost Greg, my salary, quote unquote, didn't count because I'd given up my career. But that was even more scary because when we made the decisions for life insurance, we had the same income coming in. So that was one of my vulnerable points. It's like, ooh, we had enough life insurance to cover both, like either one of us, but I always had an income at that time. So lucky enough that I knew probably I could go for about two years without working full time again, which is exactly what I needed to help kind of keep my kids where they were. Thank goodness you had a lot of things in place. Yeah. And that's where I say squared away. We were lucky. 
very, very well, lucky. Well, you planned as well. Planning makes it possible. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't need that that pressure when your whole family's grieving and you're trying to support your children of thinking, oh, I need to go back to work now. Yeah, and they were in a new school district and they were finally speaking English in schools. So they had a huge transition. Then all of a sudden they were the new kids whose dad died. Like that was tough. That was tough. And so I needed to be, we called all hands on deck for them at that time. And it also allowed me to figure out I was making a career change at that time. Like I knew that I was going to go back into the marketplace. Was I going to go back into publishing for the pharmaceutical and financial forecasting? Or was I going to do something different? And which job could allow me to still be a good mom? Because my kids were young. And it's good that you moved back near family. That's a little bit of divine intervention is what that was. Really and truthfully, because they, my sister was just unstoppable during those weeks. She is a problem solver. And well, I had a big problem. (laughs) She was pulling out all of the stops, everything that she could do to help. And there's actually parts in my book. I share that story of that day and a few days afterwards. Uh, One, I wrote that part of the story so I wouldn't have to keep repeating it again and again. But then when you actually write it, you're like, it's okay. I can repeat it. I can share it. Like it, it gives you a freedom to. But we share in there the role that my sister played at helping me with that communication, playing that role as blocker for me um, and helping actually truly navigate the community and how best they could help me. We were new to the community. We had just moved there two months before and my my life has stayed here. I have grown a business in this community. My community service is here because they took such good care of us from a family they really didn't know very well. Always thankful. Always thankful for the community around us. Thank goodness you were there. Yeah. Thank goodness they were there. (laughs) Was writing the book quite therapeutic? It was. I have a degree in statistics. I can't say being a writer. I hear lots of people say that, like, I'm a statistician or I'm a this. I'm not a writer. And I always default to the fact of the story is mine, right? And then the people that helped me make it beautiful was a whole nother layer. So writing it was really hard at times. We just recorded the uh, audio book or at least my first attempt at it. Oh, and that's exciting. I had a hard time reading those first few chapters. I almost don't remember writing them, right? So I wrote them. I edited them. I've re-reviewed them four or five times. But each time you read it, it feels different. And that's a blessing, I think, of being an author. I think that's a blessing of having other people write their books out there. Each time you read it, you can get a different message out of it, and it feels different. So it was. It was helpful to write it. It was helpful to, to feel it. It was helpful to share the story with the hope that if another widow was picking up that book, that they could relate, that they could know I'd been there too. I always say, you know, you really, sometimes you can't teach what you haven't lived and you can with the right education and (laughs) interviewing others, but that is very genuine to me. And I think too, with writing the book, it almost lit a fire into me that the book originally was to help people in their first year of loss, widows and widowers. But wow, the same thing can apply to someone who's in divorce or someone who switched careers or someone who moved to a different area that they don't have their grounding. I knew that when we moved from America to Europe, how different it felt, how I had a, I felt a little alone in the beginning, even though I had a community around me because you're navigating it all very new. And it also drove a passion in me that I want people to be prepared. That squared away that Greg and I was, I, I want people to be prepared. I wish I wrote the book for, um, maybe this is the next book to come, like how how not to be in widowhood, right? Or how to get prepared for widowhood. That's really 
Like, don't wait for widowhood. No one else take that title. It's mine. <laughs> That's one <laughs> it's of them. It's a good title. Yeah. I guess it's just that thing, isn't it, that you think won't happen to you. Oh, I don't need to think about that, which leads to not being prepared. And it is something that we all need to be prepared for. Yeah, and I love wishful thinking and I love thinking nothing's going to go wrong and that we always have tomorrow. Um, but the story shares that it was different. We, I'm the person that makes lemon out of lemonade. That's who I am. And it was still a struggle. You talk about your sister being the blocker for you. So what are the best ways for family and friends to support a widow or a widower in the first few years after the death of their partner? Yeah, I think a lot of it in... Uh, the very beginning is how can you help make life a little easier for the widow or the widower, uh, whether it's anything from helping them with groceries, helping with carpools with the kids. If it's an older widow or widower, um, what's the role that maybe that partner that passed used to play and that you can help with? Like maybe that's the person who took the trash cans out every day, bring them back in and use your community because there are many people willing and wanting to help they just don't know how to use your community that's what my sister did a lot of is making sure she negotiated we had something called the meal train so like every tuesday and thursday somebody would drop off a meal to a little cooler on the side of her house that way i didn't have to cook and then you have leftovers and so cooking a meal every day became a if i want to not because i have to so lovely like those are some really great ways to support and also trying to connect the widow or the widowers with people that you trust, that they have good experience. Even though I always say like get professional advice, right? Like with your lawyers and your accountants and your financial planners and your counselors, sometimes it's always not the best fit, right? So to ask around, if you know someone who lost their brother-in-law at age 50 and it's a younger family, who did you use to blank and take those trusted sources, vet them for the person that lost the spouse so that they don't have to have these conversations on the phone and then give them the top three. If you think that you have a like value system or a like need system, do that, make the phone calls, make the connections and streamline it for the widow or widower. Sometimes time is the one thing they don't have, mm -hmm. whether they have the time and are just too sad that they can't spend it or the time that they want to function fully is limited. That's okay too. For me, I just didn't have the time. I had three kids and I was still working and it was hard. It was hard. And between myself and my sister, we we found the time. I also say to get trusted souls around you. So when you do have these bigger conversations with the state attorneys or uh, if you're sitting trying to get the will settled, have someone else around you because you have an emotional interest in it good, bad. Um, and the other person can take notes and they can hear the same message very different than you. As in my role as a financial planner, I actually do that for many of my clients is I'll actually sit there in the back of the room and I'll just take the notes and we'll compare and review them at our next meeting to make sure everyone's on the same page and that we heard the message clearly. That's such yeah. good advice. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. And then as time goes on to using that blocker less and less, right. Or in a different way, or sometimes it's the blocker, um, I call it like opening the gates, letting people in like, okay, she's, she's good for a dinner out every now and then. Right? <laughs> she, and letting those people know too, like if you see her eyes glaze over, she's going to cry. Make sure it's not a busy restaurant. Like right. that's, that's a good way of blockers too, picking out. And sometimes you need a busy restaurant and you just want to feel the energy. Um, a lot of that is communicating the needs. We hear about the stages of grief. What are the stages of navigating your finances in widowhood? Yeah, I always say that there's um, 
immediate goals, there's transitional goals, and there's long-term goals. And the immediate goals are the have-tos, the ones that it's a life insurance policy that you need to fill out the application so that you can afford to pay for the funeral. For here in the States, we have social security, right? We need to make these appointments. They're not optional and they're time sensitive. I always say there's a timeline. That's why the book is uh, navigating the first three years, because I think by the end of the three years, some of those major decisions are all done. Um, So there's those immediate goals as everything in the first few days to the first few months, working with someone to actually set that timeline so you don't miss some opportunities, but you're not overwhelmed with too many decisions all at once. And that's why we talk about transitional goals. That's kind of year two to three. And all of us, you know, work at a different pace. I was very quick at making all of my decisions because I just wanted them done. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, eh, with a little wisdom, probably should have stretched that one out a little bit. Maybe that wasn't the smartest (laughs) one, but hey. We, we don't look back. We can only move forward. Um, but those transitional goals are the ones that um, maybe maybe you just tabled the decision because you knew you could make ends meet. You knew that the kids were okay. And this decision could come later. That decision could be going back to work like it was for me. Or the decision could be, should I stay in this house or should I go? Those are decisions that we can make. And then there's the long-term goals. And that is, okay, we're doing this on our own now. So we are in widowhood. Retirement looks different. The dreams we have look different. What do they look like now? Many of us try to attack that in those first few months of grief. Mm -hmm. It usually doesn't go well. It can add hope to the situation at times, but life will continue to change so drastically in the first, the second, and the third year. After navigating widowhood for nine years, what wisdom would you like to share? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, We'll go the emotional side of it. So I don't know if I've shared that we recently got uh, remarried. So about three months ago. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. We got married at Graceland, a little tribute to Elvis. Um, It was fun. It was fun. I got so used to doing it on my own. My kids actually joke that like if if they were debating with me about maybe um, curfew, something like that, that I would stand in the middle of the house and be like, oh, I made the decision. Who disagrees? <laughs> oh, who over 18 disagrees? So it was always my way. And you still, they would get so mad. They were like, that's not fair. I'm like, guess what? It's not, but it's my way. There was no, no buffer for them. Those poor things, those poor things. But what they don't know is if their dad was still here, I'd probably still make the same decisions. So like, oh, that's what she said. So but that's okay. We'll let them think it was just me. But I got so used to doing everything on my own that it was very hard for me to step back into a relationship and share parenting and share finances and share decisions because I had become so independent just naturally because I had to. So I had to kind of retrain myself to be that 21-year-old with a little bit more wisdom and how to navigate this relationship together. So that's one of them. Thank you. Now, you're also a long-distance runner, I believe. I am. I am. So I used to be a marathoner, um, but then, yeah, too many surgeries on my feet and too many titanium rods just didn't happen anymore. So yeah, yeah. So I can still have some half um, half marathons in me and some good 10Ks, but we do a lot of that for fundraising. So we raise funds for an organization here uh, outside of Philadelphia, which helps give free counseling for kids that have lost a parent or a caregiver. And it's such a nice way to keep my husband's memory alive and to encourage that community that helped us over the years to keep going. Like oh, yes. they didn't just help us in the beginning and then we stopped. Like we just keep going with it. It's beautiful. I love it. 
Yeah. And I will say running is the one thing that kept me focused. And it was like my downtime. It was my quiet time. I used to like come home from work. There was like a half hour window before the kids got on the bus. And I was like putting on my running shoes in the car on the way home from work because I needed to get out there and just get two or three miles in because it was my quiet time. It's my time to figure things out. And that's good advice to give to widows and widowers. Like it's okay to take the quiet time. Don't be scared of it. Okay. Well, that's really good advice. Thank you. So you're also the host of the podcast, Widow, Wisdom and Wealth. Could you talk a little bit about your podcast, please? Yeah, thank you. So yep, I have Widowism and Wealth and it's a fun podcast. In my day job, I am a financial planner. And so we kind of hit on some of these topics. Like we actually recorded one earlier this morning about how retirement planning is like running a marathon. So I thought it was funny that you were like, hey, you're a marathoner, right? (laughs) Because we just did that analogy to like saving for the long haul and preparing yourself and not making split decisions and changing the training plan all like running to money, which I never knew was an analogy, but it is. We did it. Um, And it's fun. It's a great way for me to be able to get that education out there and those messages for the families in transition in a kind way, right? Because I can reach anyone with that message and a little bit of education, 15 minutes of being like, oh, never thought of it that way. Or I'm looking for an answer about blank. Oh, there's a podcast on it so that we can kind of keep ourselves educated and moving with the theme of these families in transition, widows, divorcees, blended families, and how to make financial decisions with your hearts and soul in place. It's a lot of what it's about. That's such a useful podcast. Thank you, love. Thank you so much. I love it. I do. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Where would you like listeners to go to connect with you? Uh, The best place to find the podcast for Widow Wisdom and Wealth would be on Spotify or on Google or on iPlay. You can always go to my website and link straight down to them. And that's www.seftonfinancial.com. So S like Sam, E, P like Paul, H, T like Tom, O, N like Nancy, financial.com. Sound like my mom answering the phone in the 1970s. That's what I feel like. (laughs) I own Septon Financial and it's named after my father because of his funding of my education to make me smart so I could own my own company so he sounds like a brilliant man yeah he was from England that's why oh was <laughs> he, he was he was oh well yeah. obviously yep. then he's so polished <laughs> and smart <laughs> handsome too handsome he was <laughs> well it all makes sense uh, see it's full circle Absolutely. And is there anywhere else, any of the social media you're particularly active on? Oh, I would love if people could follow me on Instagram. It is, and that is for my Widow and Wisdom podcast, as well as for my book. And that is at Widow and Wisdom on Instagram. Fun videos, helpful videos, checklists for those people that are going to help you through the process. Your blockers, your eager beaters, (laughs) like those people. That's what we want. Um, So that's just out there. And so I hope people enjoy it. Excellent. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes so people can find them easily. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to talk to you. You too. Thank you. Visit www.victoriabenyon.com to book a free podcast guesting strategy session with one of our team. Using the information you provide when you book, We'll get to know you and your business better so you get the most value from your strategy call. You will come away from this 30-minute session with huge value. We'll share our top tips for being a podcast guest and up to five suggestions of perfect fit podcasts you can approach. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.